Father, now we come before you. We come with the joy of our salvation, just having celebrated the gospel once again. It, it's in our mouth, Father. We, 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 we delight in the memory of your great love in the face of our great rebellion. We give praise to you for that. We worship you now and we carry these thoughts that we've just shared into our passage today and pray, Lord, that you would grow us, teach us how to live, show us the way of righteousness and obedience to you, the better way. We pray that Jesus would be our greatest joy as we walk through these verses and as we apply these verses this week, we pray that you would be glorified and that we would increasingly be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled the sermon, The One Thing, The One Thing. Let's begin with what I'm calling friendship and hospitality, verse 38, friendship and hospitality. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, as we know, when we're moving through the text, first mention is important. This is the first mention of Martha in the Gospel of Luke. And so it's important that we stop and say, okay, who, who, we've, got, uh, we've got a new person on the scene here. Who is this? What's going on? Well, we know from another passage of Scripture, John 11 and 12, that Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived in Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, just about two miles east of Jerusalem. Let me show you uh, where that is. Okay, so here we have Jerusalem, uh, the Dead Sea right over here, Jerusalem right here, up, up high, we're, we're at high elevation, and then right between here is the Mount of Olives on the eastern side of the city, separating Bethany, which is on the back slope of the Mount of Olives, and Jerusalem, which is on the other side of the Kidron Valley. So we're very close to Jerusalem. And part of the question we have here is chronology. Is, is Luke staying with a, a careful chronology? It's hard to know for sure. When did this happen? I think it was at a point along the way, but probably not right before he entered into Jerusalem for the final time. This is part of Jesus' teaching down in this area. He's all over the place in this area, and he makes a, a number of trips over to Bethany. This is a, a place he loved to be. He delighted in these friendships. In fact, when you read through John 11 and 12, you find that Lazarus was not just an acquaintance. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. And I think some of that friendship was being fostered even in this uh, interaction here. So we're in Bethany. Jesus has come to the, the house of Martha, and it says that she welcomed him into her house. So by that, we're kind of wondering, okay, well, you know, how does that work? Martha is living here with Mary and her brother Lazarus, sister Mary, brother Lazarus. Where's Martha's husband? He's not mentioned. It's, it's likely that Martha is a widow, and she's working hard to survive on her own, and she's got these family members who then live with her there together. And so, we're not given a lot of detail, but we are given the sense that, that Martha knows Jesus, in a special way. She has heard him teach. She's aware of him. She's in, in love with him as Savior and Lord. She has recognized him as the Messiah and is quick to say, go come to my house. You're in town. You have no place to lay your head. Come stay with me. 
Come stay at my house. I'll cook. You can stay here. This would have been so refreshing for Jesus as he moved through different responses we've seen, right? I mean, some places don't even let him stay within their own village. Some places say, no, you're going to Jerusalem? We don't want you here. That's what the Samaritans did. But in this situation, very close to Jerusalem, Martha welcomes him in. And we understand uh, this family unit. Now, Lazarus is never even mentioned in this, but it seems that, Mar- uh, that Martha is the oldest of this sibling group. She's the one who seems to kind of be taking responsibility and ownership here. It's her house, as it's referred to. And so I can just imagine this happening. Uh, just, just put your, your imagination here now into this. In the background, you can kind of see what this kind of house would have looked like, probably almost all stone and uh, some mud in there as mortar, um, but quite warm. And Jesus is coming. Okay, Mary, quick, get the vacuum cleaner. Lazarus, clean up your mess in your room. Put those clothes away, right? Quit keep stepping on your Legos. I don't know. I imagine that Martha was barking some orders out, though, right? She's kind of that lady who's a take-charge, type-A kind of lady, and she was like, we're cleaning up. Everybody get ready. Jesus is coming. I want it to be just right for him, just right. And so he comes in. She wants to show him an opportunity to rest. She wants to take and, and, and feed him. Now, We've got to understand, when Jesus comes to town, he does not come alone, does he? We have seen over and over, he is traveling with a huge entourage of disciples and followers. When she welcomes him into her home, she's not simply saying, one person, come on in, you can sit here. She's welcoming in at least 13, right? The 12 disciples and Jesus, and then outside her home, there would have been at least another hundred gathered around. Who knows? If she's trying to feed them all, this is a huge assignment. We've got to feel the weight of this responsibility. And she takes it and owns it. I want to do this, and I want to do it well. This is good. It's a good thing. Lest we beat up Martha too much, we need to say practicing biblical hospitality is extremely commended in the New Testament. In fact, I would just say this, in both of the passages that speak of the qualification for elders, leaders, shepherds in the local church, both of those passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, include that he must be a man who is hospitable, hospitable. And and so what does that say to all of us then? That is something to aspire to. We, collectively, as believers, are to be known in part by our hospitality. You hear the word hospital in the word hospitality? We're caring for, blessing, finding opportunity to love and encourage and just uh, be a breath of fresh air to folks. Give them a break. It tends to be practiced in a home. Uh, come, Come to my house, but it's not limited to that. I mean, sometimes people are like, listen, my apartment is like 200 square feet. 
that would be really small. Okay, uh, maybe, what, 700? Was that our first apartment? We had a tiny, tiny apartment in Grand Rapids, our first one. There is a way to practice biblical hospitality outside of the home as well. It has at its heart not the food or the decorations or even the location, but the people. It's the people. It's the relationships. That's the goal of hospitality. I want to bless. I want to find a way, initiate an interaction where I can bless this person or this family or this group. Martha is right on in this desire. Come to my house. Let me cook for you. Just take a break. You've been on the trail all day long. Here's some fresh water. Get a drink. It's a good thing that she sets out. She loves Jesus. She wants to bless him. Here's a picture inside uh, as we toured through Israel. Uh, we went to a, a, a reconstructed village based upon what archaeologists have found. And this is what the inside maybe of a, of a kitchen area would look like. So you've got to put yourself here. Martha is not working in your kitchen, okay? She's not pulling out the KitchenAid appliances, loading the dishwasher, you know, plugging in everything. That's the kitchen she's working with, okay? When she goes to cook, she's likely cooking on something like this. And you can see um, all the different uh, setup here. There's some water, uh, water storage here. This would be for making flatbread. You put the bread in between and then put that on top and it smooshes it down, cooks it on both sides. Um, there's all kinds of uses for this area of the stove. This is a ton of work, okay? We've got to feel this and be a little more sympathetic with Martha. What she sets out to do is a monumental undertaking enough to stress all of us out. Now, she has a sister. Let's read about her sister Mary. Verse 39, esteemed and enthralled. Esteemed and enthralled. And Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Wow, okay. So we've moved from Jesus, come into my home. Now he's, he's in the home, right? The vacuuming is done, and, and here he is, and the disciples are there. And what does Jesus do? Wherever he goes, he teaches. He's teaching. He's constantly teaching. And so Jesus is in this group. Now this is a more intimate setting. It's a, a closed-in area. Not the most comfortable experience. But here's Jesus. He's not on the trail. He's got his disciples with him questions, discussion, teaching, and here comes Mary, Martha's little sister. From out of the kitchen, she comes probably, and in, she hears Jesus teaching, and she is riveted. And what does she do? She comes up, finds a place at his feet, and sits down and begins to just take in his teaching. Now, We've got to understand, when I say the word esteemed and enthralled, I'm speaking of Mary. This would have been incredibly rare for a woman to be invited, allowed even, to sit at the feet of a rabbi who was teaching was unheard of, unheard of. But Jesus was not one to, to live by cultural expectations. He said, come, 
Men, women, young, old, don't keep them away. Come and listen. And so here's Mary. She's breaking all of the social norms as she sits at the feet of Jesus and just feeds on his words as he teaches. He may even have made some of the people there uncomfortable. She wasn't worried about that. She was focused. And she was listening to this teaching. So can you see her there? You see Mary? She's just, she's, she's, she's lost in the wonder of having Jesus teach. Now, let's say we were preparing a potluck here and you were supposed to be helping in the kitchen. And, and not me, but Jesus was here teaching. Would you be a little torn? Like, do, do I want to be getting out the cups and the napkins and the paper plates and, and the spoons and forks? Or would I just rather be sitting right here and just keep going, Jesus? Don't stop. We'll get the food later. All right, let's just do this. You could totally understand where Mary's at. Mary is not wrong for feeding on the words of Christ, her Lord and joy and Savior. She sits at his feet. She is absolutely enthralled. She probably has lost track of time. Any sense of of, of assignment from her older sister Mary is gone, and she's just soaking it up. relationship and instruction. I would ask you the question, is this a normal experience for you? Do you find yourself choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus, lock eyes with him, and listen to his words? Friends, when you wake up in the morning, there is, there are millions of ways that you can live out those first number of minutes of your day. There's so many things clamoring for your attention. Probably the first thing for many is that phone that woke you up. Wonder what's going on on Facebook. Wonder what's happening on the game I'm playing. Wonder who emailed. Wonder what's going to happen this day. What's the schedule look like, right? We battle this. What matters most? Will we find opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus as a first priority, to say, that's where I want to be? All this other stuff, it's not as important as that. Sunday morning, look, you're here. You're here. Now, this is, this is just me. It's that I'm here too. We're all here together. But friends, we collectively, even now, we sit at his feet and we hear from him together. Sunday morning. Would you ever put a football game up against that? Really? Now, if you get free tickets, go watch a Seahawks game, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not downing on the Hawks. I'm just saying, if you do that every week, something's wrong. We've got a priority here. This is Jesus. His word is alive. He's here for us. We can feed here. Hmm. That's why over the years, so many roasts have burned in the oven, right? Forget the roast. Keep preaching. No one's actually ever told me that, but someday, someday it's going to happen. 
Now, the antinomic outburst. Martha sets out to bless. Oh, it's such a good motive, such a good goal. But she ends up doing the very opposite. The antonym of everything she's hoping to do, she does. Mm, the outburst, verse 40. <laughs> this one cracks me up. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Let's stop here because th th these words count really significant. She was distracted with much serving. What does it tell us about Martha? Okay, we, we've got to be careful here. Sometimes people turn this into just a, uh, this is a personality difference. Mary's kind of contemplative, and Martha's just a type A doer. It's that, I don't like that. I, I don't think that's fair. Distracted from what? From Jesus. She wants, I believe, to be there, but she feels overwhelmed, uh, pulled away, uh, distracted from what she would prefer with all the responsibilities that she's chosen. The word distracted here in the text kind of, it has this connotation of to be overwhelmed or overloaded, and she's choosing this. This is a choice that she makes. There are decisions that she could make that would help this go away so that she could do this. Here's, here's one answer. Call Domino's, right? Just order a pizza, then do this, right? Something we can do. Yeah, Jenny and I were struck one time. We, we were invited over to some friends in California, and uh, we always felt this, this, this challenge with hosting and cleaning. Of course, when we had little kids, that was a ton of work, and, and we would always kind of stress out about it. They had us over, and they ordered pizza, and it was delivered, and we thought, that was so easy. And we felt so loved. We were just connecting and talking, and it was simple. And from that point on, we just remind each other of that. And we can have people over and not make everything about cleaning and decorations and food. Let's make it about the people. Keep the food simple. Have a taco bar. Good. Let's, let's hang out. Let's talk while we have something simple. Spaghetti. But Martha, she's distracted. I think she's choosing to try to make the meal perfect because it's Jesus, right? You want everything to be perfect. You want not just the meal, but maybe some soup and, and some extra bread, and maybe we should do some dessert here too, right? And then on top, and then and this and that. It doesn't stop. She's stressing out. And more than just the soup begins to simmer. Martha begins to simmer. Can you picture this? Jesus is in the, the living room, just around the corner from the kitchen, and you hear the, the, the pans and pots clanging a little louder each time. And she's going to set the table and each cup, a little louder in the plates. What's going on? Well, I don't know. My sister. It's my sister. Keep, keep teaching, Jesus. Hmm. She's got a, a decision to make, doesn't she? Is she going to stay with hospitality or is it going to turn into something very different? She went up to Jesus. Okay, she, she goes up to Jesus. And she said, Lord, do you not care? Now, just pause here. <laughs> Anytime 
anyone, especially followers of Christ, would begin a sentence to Jesus in that way, it's not going well. Like, that, that, there's no way you can really finish that. Do you not care that my sister, who's she talking to? She's talking to Jesus and trying to humiliate her sister Mary. My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. Whoa! You talk about an outburst. Now, picture how this goes down. Out of the kitchen she comes. She's probably hot and sweating and increasingly ragged, and she is overflowing, and, and she interrupts Jesus' teaching. Okay, you remember last, last time? Behold, this is an interruption. Jesus is teaching. Stop, stop, stop. Lord, everybody in the room now is watching her. She takes command of the, uh, of the, of the room. Not a quiet word to her sister, but a public goal to humiliate, and in doing so, she questions and commands Christ himself. Do you not care? Uh, haven't you noticed, or am I the only one that can see this? I know that you hold all things together, and they all exist by the word of your power, but it seems as if something has slipped you, <laughs> right? Let me remind you. Hmm. She's left me to serve alone. Command her. Tell her. You tell her to help me. This is a big problem. We've, we've moved from hospitality now to hostility. <laughs> I could just imagine Martha laying in bed later this night and just being like, oh, if I could take that back, if I could do it over again, what was I thinking? But that's me. That's us, friends. Here we are in the story. If you want to find us Usually it's the least flattering person in the story that tends to be us. We fail. We blow it. We lose it. Look at how this unfolds. From humility, that is hospitality. Hospitality is an expression of humility. I want to serve. I want to bless you first. You before me. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm here to bless. And it turns from that into, it's all about me. I'm in here by myself. Again, right? Selfishness. She's thinking about Martha, not Mary, not Jesus, not the disciples anymore. She becomes jealous. She becomes angry. She begins to resent her sister. And, and it even turns at Jesus What's wrong with you, Jesus? This is really your problem. If you were good, you would have noticed this and told her to come help me. Oh, wow. How quickly pride can lead us down a toxic path. Lack of self-control. She interrupts rudely and seeks to humiliate. Now, friends, I wish we could say this is uncommon for us. 
but we've all been in these places before. These, these things, the, the, the fruits of the flesh, of pride in our life, that is not something foreign to our experience, is it? Sometimes in church, there are people who are gifted and called in certain ways to serve, and, and when they look around and they see other people not doing what they're doing, they'll say, hey, Lord, right? H- haven't you mentioned to so-and-so that they should be helping me do what I'm doing? Should everybody be doing the same thing in the service of the Lord? No. No, friends, we are, we are one body with different members. That's the strength of the church. So sometimes we have to be reminded not everybody is gifted and called to, to put to work their serving the Lord in the exact same way I am. And sometimes it's just flat out wrong to put a guilt trip on someone and suggest that they, they should. We want to celebrate the differences and the different expressions of giftedness and calling within the unity of the body. It's an important thing to keep in mind. There's greater strength in that diversity in unity than if we all did the same thing. Think of all the things that would fall to the ground. So, now Jesus responds with what I call a gentle rebuke. A gentle rebuke. The Lord answered her. He begins with this. Martha, Martha. These repetitions of her name are communicating tremendous grace, patience, love. He has every right as the King of kings, the Lord of heaven and earth, to be offended by having someone speak to him in this way, and he doesn't take offense. He shows grace. He responds as a peacemaker, as one who would quiet. Turn the burner down, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. An amazing response this is. You're all worked up, Martha. You're anxious and you're troubled about all of these things. Martha, just calm down and come in and focus. It doesn't have to be perfection. You don't have to be Martha Stewart here, right? Just come, come in and relax. You know what? We can work together. We can knock this out in no time. We're going to be fine with food. Here's one thing that we've got to have in perspective. How long does Jesus have left in this capacity with them? How many visits to their home does he have? We're less than 10 months before the crucifixion comes. Jesus knows at the end of the day, you could spend all your time in the kitchen and then look back and say, oh, I wish I would have sat with him more. He knows that time is short. These moments count. One thing is necessary. What is the one thing? It's relationship 
with Christ. That's the one thing that counts in this life. One thing, Martha, we've got to focus in. We've got to dial it in. Rein this back, you know, tone it down. Forget the extra stuff. Let's just get that fixed so that we can do this over here. I like how MacArthur said it. He said, we must never allow our service for Christ to crowd out our worship of him. That seems like a kind of a silly thing to happen. Like, well, how would that ever happen? We're serving him, right? Friends, that can happen. You can be so busy serving God that you forget all about your relationship with God. And then, as soon as that happens, guess what the serving turns into? Me. It's about me. I began to look for applause and praise. I began to look for, well, does anybody notice? I mean, I was in there serving the kids, teaching the kids week after week. Does anyone notice that I'm doing this? Why isn't everybody in here doing this? All of a sudden, a children's worker runs in, interrupts my sermon, and says, you guys, Pastor Jeremy, you tell them they should be in here. <laughs> you see how easy that can happen. In our heart, if we don't serve out of our delight in and worship of Christ, we become the focus. Even as we say, I'm serving Christ. It is a danger for Christians. It's a danger in the church. We must guard against it. I just want to say, there, there are a lot of ways to plug in at this church, but the worst thing we could, we, could, we could ever do for your walk with Christ is expect you to be at the church and active every time the church is open. You don't have to do every single thing in this church to serve. One thing is necessary here, your walk with Jesus. Everything else is to point us that way. Serving can be worship, but never if it's separated from relationship with Christ. It is to be the overflow of our love. So if you find yourself an inch deep and a mile wide, step back. Step back. You have my permission. Step back. Take a break and focus on the one thing that matters most in this life and the next. And watch him fill you up to pour you out in service that's healthy and blessed and humble and right. Now, that said, plug in, right? Plug in. You need these opportunities. You need opportunities of, of greater strength, greater time in the Word, greater focus. But be careful to overcommit. The psalmist writes, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. What's at the very heart of King David's longing there? Is it about the temple? Is it about the singing? Is it about the decorations? Is it about any of that? It's about the relationship with the Lord. He delights in the Lord. Jesus goes on to say this, Mary has chosen the good portion. What a fascinating way to describe it. Mary has chosen the good portion will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to tell her to go in the kitchen. I'm not going to do it. 
And what she has right here, she will never lose. Come and remember that. Come rejoice in that. It won't be taken when I'm delivered up. It won't be taken when I am raised from the dead. And she rejoices. It won't be taken when I ascend into heaven because I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord is my portion, my portion. He is my portion. Do you want to go to heaven? Why? Why? Because Jesus is there. That, that is heaven. Where he is, he is your portion. If there are no streets of gold, no family members, no friends, no amazing meals, but Jesus is there, it's heaven. Everything else is secondary. Streets of gold are not primary. They just add to the joy and the glory of the one we relate to right now today. You are my portion today and forever. Therefore, I will hope in you. Well, how can we put this to work, friends? How can we learn from this? This is, uh, this is so important for us on a Labor Day weekend. We'll just point us back to this. Sometimes people make the Christian life very complicated. It feels very complex, all of these things, and, and this, and then that, and this. No, it's, it's very simple. The Christian life is about one thing. Your joy in Jesus Christ. Delighting in Him, walking with Him, talking with Him, listening to Him, sitting at His feet, learning, growing, delighting to obey Him. All of these things come back to the one thing. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Religiosity has never saved anyone. Never. Never. Because you know what the difference is? Religiosity, the practicing of religion, it's about what I do. I become Martha. I become focused on all the busyness, all the work. Oh, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. I must be okay. Don't fall for it. The focus of the Christian life is not what I do, but what he has already done. Embrace him. Delight in him. Trust him. Obey him. He is the good portion. We're starting our fall very soon. Things crank up. Kids going back to school. Lots of decisions to make. How many things will we commit to? How busy will we be? What will we say yes to? What will we say no to? Friends, follow Mary's example as you sort out your priorities. There's one thing that is to be in front of all of those. Keep him as the highest priority. And you will not be disappointed. This world is running fast. There are so many fast-paced things. It's a, it's a fast-paced world. It feels like oftentimes people find their, their identity in how busy they are. I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to. We can take our cue from Mary. In the morning, sit at his feet. Listen to his word. Delight in him. Talk to him throughout the day. On Sunday mornings, make 
the goal, the priority of your weekend, not if you have time, but what else could compete with the one thing that matters most in this life and the next? We're there. We're excited to learn, to share, to serve. Serving out of the overflow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of of just these few verses, how sometimes we make things so complicated, but we come back to just the simplicity and the, the absolute joy of knowing you. Thank you for your love and your grace that you've given us through Jesus Christ, that you have called us into this relationship with him, to to know him and delight in him, that, that through him we can be brought into fellowship with the God who is, with all that you are. Lord, we know that this will be our forever experience, and yet sometimes we live as if it's it's just a future occurrence. It just pray that we would, we would gain from Mary's example today and, and be reminded that even today we can have this experience to sit at your feet, to delight in you, to walk with you. Help us to be wise. Help us to avoid these, these traps of busyness and overload. Oh, Lord, guard us against these sneaky and subtle sins of pride and self-focus that would even find a home in our serving of you. Help us to not be an inch deep and a mile wide, Lord, but help us to focus on the one thing as we walk with you, delight in you, learn from you forever. Be praised and glorified as we seek to apply this message in our lives this week. I pray that our labor day would be a rejoicing in your labor for us resting in that finished work. In Jesus' name, amen.